Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. We're going to hear from uh, Colin, and, and as he opens up the Word of God, give to us. You pray for him as he comes up, and, uh, and then we'll uh, see what God has to speak to us and how he speaks to us. I, I would encourage you to take the Bible. If you don't have one, you can use the one in, in front of you in the pew there, the gray, gray uh, cover there, and you're welcome to it. And that would be wonderful to turn our pages to what the Word of God has to say for us this evening. All right. Thank you, Tyler. I realize this uh, opening illustration here is going to be a little small for you to see if you're uh, in the back, but I think even if you're not fully able to see it, you will get the point uh, of what I'm trying to say. So I have a picture here. Most of you have known me for a long time, so you know that uh, generally, I end up mentioning something about Star Wars because I love Star Wars. I have a picture here, an image of one of the characters. Like I said, you might not be able to see it, but you can probably at least see it's not the best image in the world. <laughs> this is uh, supposed to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, played by Ewan McGregor, but it is a child stick figure drawing. Now, granted, it's still better than I could do, so I'm giving the kids some credit, you know, but it's not the best quality drawing out there in the world. Now, that being said, I also have this picture here, which is very good quality. And again, you might not be able to see as well, if, um, depending on where you're sitting, but this is actually a professionally hand-drawn sketch of Obi-Wan and Anakin, and it was done by Danny Seltzer, who many of you guys know. And it's just, it's incredible. Like, if you came up afterward, there's a little stitching on the boot. He did all of this with pencil. It, it is absolutely fantastic what that kid is capable of. Both of these are pictures of the same guy. Both of these are an image of the same person, but which one is better? <laughs> this one, right? I mean, this one's on just printer paper, and this one I have framed because I keep it in my room. He drew that for me over 10 years ago, and I still have that. We'd say that that one that's in the frame is better. It's a better quality. It's a better image. Why? Well, it looks more like Ewan McGregor, the guy who played Obi-Wan. That picture has one job, and it is to be the closest image, the closest likeness of Ewan McGregor possible. But is that picture Ewan McGregor? No. I don't care if you get someone who's 10 times better than Danny, and that would be hard if you've ever seen the stuff he can draw. I don't care if you get the best artist in the world. I don't, it does not matter how well he draws, the picture will never be Ewan McGregor. Why? Because Ewan McGregor is a human being. He's not paper and lead. So the image is supposed to, its, its job is to portray what is real but not there. We don't have Ewan McGregor standing here, but we have a picture of it. That's its job. Now let me ask you, what is your job? I don't mean your nine to five that you get paid for, but as a human being, what is your job? You get to the end of your life and God looks over everything you did. We know that 
to a Christian, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, but he can also say, wicked and foolish servant, you didn't use what I gave you to use. So you get to your end of your life, and God is looking over what you've done, not for salvation, but to determine reward. What does he judge that by? How, how, how do you know? Did I, do, did I live a good life or not? Well, I think we can actually get the answer to that in the Bible, and uh, if not on page one of the Bible, at least pretty early on. So turn back to Genesis 1 with me, if you would. Last time I was up here on a Wednesday night, we were covering the first part of Genesis 1, and the main theme of that being how God stepped into the chaos that was there, and he created order. We talked about the, 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 the chaos that was existing, the tohu vavohu, the wild and waste, King James calls it, formless and void, and how God stepped into that, and every creative act was to bring order into chaos. And then how we are to do the same. I don't mean create by speaking stuff into existence, but you got some chaos in your life sometimes? Our job is to bring order into that, and we reflect our maker with that. So that's what we talked about last time. Now we're going to be at the end of chapter 1. If you haven't found Genesis 1 yet, I recommend just uh, opening the first page and flipping a couple <laughs> over, and you'll, uh, you'll be there pretty fast. Look at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 24. Verse 23 ends the fifth day of creation. And we hop into verse 24. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And we'll pause there for now. All right, there is so much in that we could spend every Wednesday probably through all of 2022 just covering those few verses. So I'll try to just hit a few highlights uh, here tonight. But we start with, And God said... If you have ever read through any of the creation account, you will see over and over again, and God said, and God said, he speaks each day of creation. Creative acts are linked to God speaking. When he speaks, good things happen. And that happens all throughout this. And it, it's interesting that in six days of creation, God speaks ten times. Now make of that what you will, but I think it's interesting that he also had the Ten Commandments that he specifically spoke to Moses. There were the ten plagues that he specifically spoke were going to come. And again, make of that what you will. I'm not saying it's crazy theologically important, but I think it's interesting that six times in ten days, God speaks there. And he says, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. All right, let's, let's have a little fun with this. Living creature. Um, in Hebrew, that is the term um, nefesh kaya. Nefesh is a really important word. So that's one word that I want you guys to learn today is nefesh. Nefesh. It can mean life. A lot of times it's translated soul. Um, but it can also mean throat or neck. And you say, that's a really broad range of meaning. Well, it makes sense, though. 
if you try to think of a, of a way of connecting those things together, if you don't have your nefesh, you don't have nefesh, life. If your throat, your nefesh is cut, you don't have nefesh, life anymore. It's, it's a very uh, down-to-earth way of thinking of language, but that's the way the Hebrew language worked. The word also means soul. Now, it does not mean soul in the sense that we often think of it. Uh, a lot of times when we think of soul, we think of a disembodied spirit, right? We think of when my body dies, my soul lives on, right? That isn't exactly how the Bible presents it. I realize that a lot of times in church we hear that we think, yeah, it's, that, that's, that's not exactly the picture the Bible paints. Here's what I mean. The Bible does not say you have a soul. The Bible says you are a soul. Look with me, chapter 2, verse 7. This is a, personally, some, some preachers will disagree with me, but I think chapter 2 is essentially a more detailed retelling of chapter 1. Because you'll notice a lot of times the details overlap. They talk about the creation of man twice. I think it's basically God giving you the overview in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he says, all right, let's laser focus in on a couple things. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All right, so the Bible says that man received a living soul, right? Is that what your Bible says? Is it that man received a living soul? What does it say? Became a living soul. You do not have a soul you are a soul. That's a little bit of a weird way of thinking about it. I know in, in church cultures we've thought, well, your body, soul, and spirit. And I'm not here to argue that today. If, if that's something that interests you, we can talk about that afterward, especially Paul gets into that a lot. But at its core, the Bible says that you yourself, the, the truest part of you, is a soul. I don't mean the disembodied spirit that we think of, you know, like a ghost kind of thing. But there is one way in English that we still use the word soul like this. Um, and that is when we're talking about something like a plane or a ship, when we say there were 50 souls on board, or 30 souls were lost when the boat went down. And even that sounds weird to us. Like we do, we do, that even sounds outdated. But that is about the only way that we use that same way of thinking as Hebrew, is it means life. That is nefesh. When it's talking about your nefesh is your life. Um, and this, in chapter 2, verse 7, is the exact same phrase from uh, chapter 1, verse 24 that we had. When it said living creature, living soul in chapter 2, verse 7. Both are nefesh kaya. So we learn nefesh. The second word is kaya. If you think like doing a karate chop, kaya. That's kind of the idea. It's stupid. You're not going to forget it, though, okay? So it works. <laughs> All right. Nefesh kaya. Um, any of you guys ever have a Spanish class, maybe high school or something like that? Okay, a, a few of you. A lot of languages, Spanish included, they do noun first and then adjective. In English, we do adjective and then noun. I could say I have a red car. Adjective is red, noun is car. They come in that word. Now, I don't have a red car. I just don't remember the Spanish word for silver, so we're going with red here today, okay? <laughs> I have a red car. But in Spanish, you would say, yo tengo un carro rojo. Car comes first, 
and then the adjective rojo, red, comes after it. Hebrew is the same way, noun first, adjective after. So literally it's saying life of living. When it says living soul or living creature, that is exactly what it's saying, life of living. It means this is something that is alive. Now let's, let's make this a little more interesting. Look into verse 30 of chapter one. To every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, that's that word nephish again, throat, life, soul, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. If you look in the verse before, God is talking to Adam, Adam and the woman, the man and the woman, hum, human, not just male gender, but human, and all of the animals. And he's saying, all of you, if you have nephesh, you get to eat green stuff. You get to eat vegetables. Because we believe that at this point in time, everyone was vegetarian. That, that they did not eat animals because there was not death before the fall, right? So if you kill an animal, that would be death before the fall. So they were vegetarians. And that, that does not mean that we have to be vegetarians, okay? You can go to Acts and see where God um, gave the vision to Peter and said, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. So we know we can eat animals. That's, that's not the problem. Um, but I do think it's interesting that if God said in a perfect world, eat some vegetables, <laughs> Probably not a bad idea for us either, you know? Like, I love my McDonald's as much as anybody else, but I mean, if, if God says, perfect world, this is what you should eat, might not be a bad idea. At least put in a little bit. Uh, find some vegetable you like there. But here's what's really interesting to me. You guys ever watch, like, um, maybe a Discovery Channel documentary or something like that where it's talking about the planet Earth or something like that, and they talk about life, right? They always have that epic narrator voice. It's never, this is the way, life, you know, it's this deep, booming voice. And whenever they talk about life, it's always some, what, like little plant sprouting up, right? Or they've got the wind blowing through the trees, right? It's, it's green stuff all over. But look at verse 30 here with me. God's speaking to humankind, Adam. He's speaking to animals, and he says, wherein there is life. So I'm talking to people who have life, who have nephesh. You get to eat green stuff. So by implication, that means that plants aren't alive. At least not in the theological sense. You following what I'm saying here? Because if death was not before the fall and people could eat plants, I mean, we would think of having to kill a plant if you ate it or something, but apparently that's not the same way God sees it. Apparently, humans and animals have this thing called nephesh, this, this life, this soul, this aspect of, of, of living that plants do not have. Now, I don't think that science documentaries are trying to destroy the Bible with that. I don't think this is what they're trying to say, okay? They're talking about life in a different sense than us. So I'm not saying you can't ever watch Discovery Channel. But that's interesting to me, that life is not plants, in the, at least not in the way that we usually think of it. And I'll get to why that's, why that's applicable to us in a minute here. Looking back at verse 24, God says, Let the earth bring forth the living creature, the nephesh kaya, the living life after his kind, 
Um, and in case you're one of those people that looks at this and say, why in the world did God just single out cattle? Okay, because I know in, in this crowd there's at least one of you that's going to obsess over why just cattle? Okay, well, that's not cattle in the sense of cows like we think of. Um, it's actually... Do you guys know the differences between a translation and a transliteration? Have you ever heard that second term? We know what a translation is, but we don't talk about transliteration a lot. Translation is when I find a similar word in a different language for what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, I did that with car. Okay, car in English, caro in Spanish. That's a translation. Transliteration is when the language you're trying to get into doesn't have a good word for what you're trying to say. So sometimes scholars will just say, well, let's just take the letters from this word and put it into that language. Like, literally all they're doing is taking that word, putting it, say, in English letters or Spanish letters or whatever it is. I don't really like that because if the word doesn't, like, find some other synonym. You're, you're making up a word. They're not going to know what that means. Uh, that actually happened with baptize. Um, the word baptize means to immerse. We get our word baptize from the Greek word baptizo. Sounds familiar, right? That's literally where it came from. And what happened... Um, the word means to immerse. That's why we dunk people up there. That's why we don't sprinkle babies, because the word baptizo means to immerse someone in water. Only problem is King James, yes, the King James who sponsored this Bible, was a child baptizer, uh, like Lutherans, like Methodists. He believed that you should sprinkle children. Uh, and the translators of our King James didn't want to lose their... Uh, their work, because King James was paying for their work. So they, instead of translating the word immerse, like what it meant, they translated, they transliterated baptizo into English, baptize. They just changed the Greek letters into English. So they didn't translate the word. To translate it would have been to say immerse. They transliterated it by just creating an English word, baptize. So that's, that's actually, I, I bring that out because the word cattle here, you remember in Job toward the end where he has the weird uh, fight with God and they're talking about behemoth and leviathan, those two really big creatures that were like, what in the world are those? And God doesn't tell us what they are. Behemoth is a transliteration of a Hebrew word, behemoth. They just took the letters of behemoth and put it into English. It means big animal. That's the word here for cattle. It just means animals. Uh, now, it was some sort of weird dinosaur-like creature in Job. That's for a different message. But uh, this is just the word for animals. So God wasn't saying anything special about cows that he created here, cattle. It just means animals. Creeping things, that's anything that's like in the grass and beast after its kind, and it, were so. it was so. Then we get to verse 26, and he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Flip ahead, at least in your minds, if not in your Bibles, to Exodus chapter 20. It's the passage that we call the Ten Commandments, because that's when God gave the ten most famous of the 613 that he gave at that time. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Anyone feel like testing their Bible knowledge today? What was the first of the Ten Commandments? It starts with a thou, if that helps. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, that's actually toward the end, but I heard it in the middle here. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the second one? Yes, good job, Jenna. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. You ever wonder why that was such a big deal to God? Like, almost every other religion in the world has images. They have idols, right? I mean, if you, um, if you were to think of Greek or Roman culture, probably the first thing you're going to think of is some statue of a god or, or of Caesar. Well, they considered him a god, too. So, you know, they had statues of their gods. Um, Buddhist religion, Hindu religion, um, the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian religions, Hittite, all of these had images of their gods. So what's the big deal? Like, why can't we do that, God? What is so important about this idol, this image? Well, think about what an idol does. If, I, if you were to go to, say, your favorite Chinese buffet, and you see that little statue of Buddha that they have there by the cash register, right? Is that statue actually Buddha? No. Now, Buddha was a real person. His name was Situarda Gautama, and he lived a long, long time ago. But he was a real person, but he died a long, long time ago. So is he sitting there on their little counter? No. It's a likeness of him. Because they believe that he is in heaven. They'd use a different word for it. But Buddha's in heaven, and we are representing him here because we believe in him. Obviously, we don't, but I'm speaking from their perspective. So the job of that idol is not to be that god. It is to say, we believe that this god exists, and we're representing him here. Why did God not do that? Why did Yahweh not want that? Because if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, where we are today, he already made images for himself. You and me. God did not want idols because we are his images. He did not need little statues to sit on a shelf because we represent him. No idols of Yahweh because you're looking at the images of Yahweh everywhere you go. And what's really interesting, there's, there's good reason for people to translate verse 26. You could also translate it. God said, let us make man as our image. A lot of times um, in both Hebrew and Greek, they have one preposition that can mean a lot of things. If you had to memorize the preposition charts when you were in uh, grade school, those things were horrific. They were like 60 different ones in English. Well, I kind of appreciate that now because once I learned Hebrew, I learned there were three prepositions and they could all mean like 20 different things depending on the context. So this actually means let us make man as our image. Why is that significant? Because it means that you personally image Yahweh. I don't mean you physically look like him because we all look different, but you represent him. You are his representative saying that by my existing here, I'm saying there is a God above. And he created us and he loves us. And different people will argue over what the image of God means. Um, I, th I think if you boil it down, if you ask someone, what does it mean to be the image of God? I think a lot of people will focus on what you do. Uh, it comes down to you honor God. You do the That's a whole other fight for another day, but I don't like that, and here's why. Let's imagine you have someone who's in a coma, and they can't do anything. 
if the image of God is based in what you do, is that person no longer the image of God? Well, that's a special case. Well, how long is it a special case? Well, if they're in the coma for five years, did, are they no longer? Like, where, where does it cut off? What about someone who has a disability and they can't work anymore? They can't, do they stop being the image of God? None of us would say that. We, we, we don't believe that. So the image of God is not what you do. The image of God is who you are. The image of God is who you are. So when you get discouraged this week and you feel like you're not worth anything, you feel like you're a disappointment to God, remember that you're his image and that he created you that way because he loves you. And what does that mean for you to do? Well, if we look in the rest of that verse, um, Lane mentioned quickly in verse 27, notice that it says, um, in the image of God created he him, male and female he created he them. Um, when it says man there, that's a dom, that's humankind, so this is not just talking about male gender. This is not saying that men are in the image of God. This is not saying that Adam and Eve alone were in the image of God. This is humanity as a whole. Every single person in this room is the image of God. And verse 28, what does... What do we then get to do because of that? Well, God bless them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, every living thing that lives and moves upon the earth. A lot of times we treat this as a command, and there is a command aspect to it. But don't miss that the first part of the verse is that God blessed them. Getting to do these things is not God saying, this is what you absolutely positively have to do to be right. It's his saying, I bless you to do this because it's good. Here's why that distinction is important. If you say it is a command to be fruitful and multiply, what do you do with someone who is single and someone who is infertile? Are they sinning? No. So you have to focus on what did God say this was? This was a blessing. God bless them. You get to do this. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, replenish, um, for the one or two of you here that might get hung up on that, because replenish today means to refill. Um, so there are actually some people who will look at this, and they'll try to say that there used to be people on the earth, then God wiped them out, and that's why it was formless and void, and now he's telling them, refill the earth. That's weird. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to spend time on that because it doesn't deserve the time for that. Um, but 410 years ago when the King James was written, replenish did not mean to refill, it meant to fill. Words change in 10 years' time. They certainly change a lot in 400 years' time. Uh, so that just was God saying, fill up the earth. Go through the whole thing and then subdue and have dominion over it. Um, here's your homework for this week. Study out subdue and have dominion. See what those words mean for what you are supposed to do with the earth because they are powerful. They are ruling words, words for kings, princes, princesses, queens. That is what they do over the earth. That's what God expects you to do, is to rule it. Not to abuse it, not to underuse it, but to use it, to use it wisely. And here's where that comes in with talking about plant life too. A lot of Christians, especially those of us on the more conservative end, we fall into... Well, God's going to destroy this earth with fire, bless God, so I can do whatever I want. I'm just, I can use up whatever I want. Global warming, nat natural gas is where I don't care any of that stuff. I'm just going to use it. 
That's an, that is an extreme. That is abusing the resources that we have. But then you also can go to the other extreme of, oh, we just need to save everything on the planet. We can't use anything. We need to, you know, the, what, we would, what people would call a tree hugger kind of thing or something like Okay. God gave us the planet to use, but he did not give us the planet to abuse. So we should care about the environment. We should care about what he has given us. But environmentalism is not the gospel. You see the balance in that there? You don't want to get so caught up in, oh, save every little tree. Well, no, it, it's okay to cut down a tree for lumber. It's okay, it's okay to kill an animal for food. But it's not okay to just kill a bunch of animals for sport until that's extinct. I'm not against hunting as a sport. But you want to be careful that you don't abuse what we have. Does that make sense? That is God's blessing to you today. You are his image. Use what he has given you wisely. How can you do that for the rest of this week? That's for you to figure out, starting now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for uh, the wonderful blessing that you have given us of being your image, being your representatives uh, that other people can look at, and hopefully we live up to it enough that they will say, I think there's a God. And I think I want to serve him too. Lord, I pray that would be the case because of us here this week, uh, that, as, that as I and my friends go out uh, tonight, we would make a difference in the world around us, in our family circles, in our friends' circles, our work circles, whatever it might be, and that we would glorify you uh, through ruling and using wisely this earth as your images. We love you, Father. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.